Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. How are you? I'm good. You're just my little ready Randy rainbow, huh? Uh, I No, please don't call me that. <laughs> that's that's not what my driver's license says. I mean, that's not what the paperwork I got says. I have <laughs> eyes everywhere, babe. Okay? I know the truth. Um, Derek's mom loves Randy Rainbow. And oh. I think that's his core audience, honestly. It's moms. Yeah, that probably mom, is. That checks. You know? Speaking of moms and mom allies, I went to Long Island Pride this weekend. Um, and the co- mostly moms. Um, and you know what? I liked it. I was like, am I at my favorite Pride event of the year? Maybe. Maybe. It is a common knowledge that you're very much a mama sexual. Everybody yes. knows that. Oh, yeah. Words I do on great the streets. Do great with moms. Uh, hi, everyone. We're the Mixed Reviews. We're a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or a mini genre, and we take a look back at the history, and then we say, hey, I like this stuff, and hey, I don't like this stuff. We say, what's what's going on here? Hmm? Yep. What, what's I, happening? I, I, what? I need to investigate what are this. those? Yeah. Oh, man. Talk about old memes. <laughs> I think I think I tried to do a what are those to someone recently, and they were like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah. By the time it was in the movie Black Panther, I was already like, oh, that's old, Marvel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it, when they wrote that, it was, they, they thought, wow, topical humor. Love that. Fresh and poppin'. Uh-huh. Um, Gavin, let's really quickly talk about some fun, exciting things happening for this glorious month of Pride. Um, this month, we are not doing a Pride-themed episode, but... This is a lightly Pride-themed episode, and I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, But instead of a formal uh, Pride episode, um, you challenged me. You you took me to task, if you will. I nagged you. I nagged you pretty hard. (laughs) Yeah, you really did. And I was like, okay, I'm being harassed. I'm calling the Trevor Project. Uh, (laughs) But I (laughs) created um, for us and our wonderful listeners um, the first of hopefully a series. I'm working on the second one right now it's a little more harder than i um anticipated but uh if you go if you see us on twitter or on instagram um or if you go over to our redbubble page um we have a new design up um it's based off of one of the movies that we discussed in our drag on film episode it's just one of the guys and i made it into just one of the gays um with you and me um as the main characters i think it's really funny really cute yeah if you guys want some of that you can go over there and check it out retweet reblog like fave subscribe all the fun good things oh but more importantly buy one we'd love for you to buy one (laughs) i forget yeah i i sometimes forget i'm just like so out of capitalism you know like about me specifically (laughs) as i'm literally wearing our shirt (laughs) yeah louis if he could would buy every one of the shirts and just hand them out to the people he's yes he's the ava perone of this podcast Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have a guest with us today we do and we have and we have more guests to come. So all I, I just want to make it very clear to our listeners that um, even though we don't have a formal um, Pride episode, we have a lot of fun and very Pride-filled uh, things um, for you uh, this month and coming soon. Uh, that I being said... I would like to think that our podcast is Pride all year round. You know, you're not wrong. Every episode, not, yeah. every episode you listen to, you're just getting a little Pride from us. So. Oh. I mean, uh, and and the occasional shame. I will say, pride and shame. You know, and shame. <laughs> Those are sisters. They belong together. Um, but I think we we've held our guest in suspense long enough. We certainly have. Please welcome to the stage. It's Morgan Roberts. Hi, girl. Hello. Morgan Roberts. Hello. 
So Morgan, you are from the Untitled Cinema Gals Project, which is a glorious podcast that you host with our good friend Chels, who we did our Audrey Hepburn episode with. I don't know why that took me a second to think, because honestly, at this point in my brain, Audrey Hepburn and Chels are like one. Yeah, they really are one and the same. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on. We're so happy to talk to you. We love talking to other film people. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you invited me and that when I you gave me a list of people, I said, I would like not that and to do something <laughs> completely different. <laughs> I love that. You have no idea how much I actually live for that. Uh, I think most people would be sort of intimidated by that. But I, I, I want when I when I invite people on or when people ask to come on, I love it when they're passionate. Like, I don't want somebody to come on. I have a friend I've been trying to get on for a really long time. She's she professional film critic she's really really great and she keeps being like can you just pick someone and it's like no like please please pick somebody (laughs) so i think that's like half the fun of it though like i'm gonna be straight up and honest like when gavin came to me with this um subject i was like who and what (laughs) um i think that speaks to me in my basicness first of all um but also like that's i was like oh yeah i've seen one of her films and i want to like keep going down this rabbit hole and learning something new and like uh and 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 just like kind of expand my horizons my my cinematic horizons and so uh i was very excited to do this episode so thank you for bringing this subject um to us before we get to it our last episode we talked about the iconic um, Glenn Close. Um, face, face, what face. A, what Teeth, a fun episode. Nose, face. Yeah. Hair, body, face. Yeah. Okay. Um, so give me one second and keep talking amongst yourselves because I have a surprise for you then. <gasps> oh! We love a surprise. Oh my God. I'm, I'm like shaking, quaking. What if Glenn Close comes out? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but my mom is Glenn Close. Glenn Close. <laughs> I, t- I took the name, the last name of my godmother, Julia Roberts. And uh-huh. <laughs> so this is a picture I have of Glenn Close that hangs in my bedroom because my oh friend my gave God. it to me for Christmas. Amazing. Just lounging. Mm-hmm. She got it's it from so- someone who was a prote- professional photographer. And um, yeah, so uh, wow. she and I will be listening to that episode. Oh, it's, it's, you know, listen, I don't, I don't want to talk myself up or talk us up and be like, oh, we're so full of ourselves. But honestly, great episode. So good. We did a great job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, That's incredible that you pray to your Lord Glenn Close every night before you go into bed. Absolutely. and, and that segues perfectly into um, our old business with I, I we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Glenn close performance um, the results are in um, I think this might be the first time we got zero percent on other there is not a single vote for other um, which this means that the fans were ravenous for the other three um, my pick uh, 101 Dalmatians came in at 24% Fatal Attraction came in with 26% but Dangerous liaisons just stomped on all the dicks with 51% um, coming out on top. And, you know, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I'll be honest. Between the three of those choices, there's genuinely no wrong answer. It is absolutely, like, unparalleled what Glenn Close is able to do, yeah. especially yeah. with those three characters. And could not be more different characters. The range. But the range, absolutely. But thank you, everybody. I do want to point out Brittany Vanderhoof wrote in to say... Not my favorite performance, but I appreciate a world where Glenn Close is the VP in Air Force One. And honestly, same. Yeah. 
Uh, Morgan, do you have a Glenn Close? I know you just surprised us with that glorious piece of art. Um, do you have a Glenn Close uh, fave pick for a movie? So um, I'd probably have to go with her very zany, very small role in Mars Attacks because yeah. I used to yeah. watch that all the time. And mm-hmm. um, to have that be my introduction to Glenn Close before 101 wow. Dalmatians, I feel like that's... <laughs> something yeah yeah what a joy what what a true treat as, um, as we mentioned in the episode too she's very uh politically left-leaning person so for her to get the opportunity to sort of like send up the nancy reagans of the world it was it's a very on point performance i just can't believe she chopped off her head for the role it's incredible yeah. <laughs> how did that happen but thank you glenn we we bow in honor and in in, in your light um but we are moving right along. Uh, Morgan, please tell us, tell our listeners why you have brought us here today. What are we talking about? So today we are going to be talking about the late filmmaker, Lynn Shelton. Uh, she is known both for her film and television. She's a director of all medium. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> It's true. She, you know, she's somebody who managed to really go back and forth between the world of television and film sort of seamlessly. And in a way that I think a lot of people, I mean, I think it is a little more common now. And this is the thing is, we are talking about a contemporary filmmaker who has unfortunately passed. But I do think it's easier now to sort of go back and forth between the two. But she always seemed to make it look effortless. And, and I'm not quite sure how she pulled it off. But it, it's, I have to say, it's really impressive. And one of the things that I kept running into is she would constantly mention when you're doing TV, it's a it's a much different thing. It's really a, a writer's, um, right. it's really a writer's area and you're just fulfilling somebody else's vision. But I think she was able to imbue the stuff that she did with her own sense of style, even if it was working as something as strict and rigid as... I don't know, as, as the Mad Men's of the world or something as more right. loosey-goosey as, like, the Mindy Project. Yeah, for sure. Um, Morgan, what, what like, what brought you to Lynn? Like, what is your connection to her? Why did you want to talk about her? So my first Lynn Shelton film is um, kind of, like, right in the middle of her film career, Your Sister's Sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have always been, like, a really big fan of the Sundance Film Festival. So like I would, I used to pay attention to it. I'd pick three movies. I'd follow them throughout the year until they finally were released, you know, because I was super cool and Uh well-liked in school. Um, (laughs) And Your Sister to Sister was definitely one that I was like, yes, I have to watch this. And I remember watching it being both in awe at how simple and yet magical it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I followed her career ever since then and she is my favorite filmmaker so um wow. yeah okay so we've got someone very special with us today on the pod <laughs> i i do have to ask and and like honestly if it's it if it's too personal you don't have to answer but you know inquiring minds want to know mm-hmm. uh what is it about her work that draws you in i think so it it's something that um she kind of talks about and then almost walks the walk with is she's very interested in people and in a way that's not like, look at these flawed people that we can love in spite of them. It's just like, look at these people who are beautiful. Their mess is beautiful. Their perfections are beautiful. 
all of those things existing at the same time is beautiful. And I think all of her films really kind of make you feel very hopeful about people. And I really just enjoy work that kind of has the quote unquote religious experience where you have <laughs> faith in people, which, you know, mm. like Fleabag is a f- show that I love because at the end of the day, she has faith in people and humans. And uh, yeah, all of Lynn's work was so much about people and that every single person, no matter how mundane they might appear on the outside is very special. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah, that's really lovely. I had seen Hump Day before, and I had seen Laggies for our Sam Rockwell episode before. Um, I did not make the connection that there was a same filmmaker, but I definitely, like, now going through, I was like, oh, this style, I certainly um, recognize. Mm-hmm. And, I, like, her, her point of view is so clear. Um, she definitely feels like a filmmaker that is, like, in the trenches of the war of making film, you know? Like, it's so personal, so intimate. Uh, and it feels like, I mean, I don't know this woman, um, but I feel like through her movies, you really get a sense of kind of what you're saying. She was so interested in these, like, because truly a lot of her subjects or her characters do feel kind of very plain, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and going through uh, uh, life when these, like, not quite dramatic, not quite comedic, weird. Um, they, I guess um, mumblecore is the um, <laughs> yes. genre that is often, um, I don't know what the fuck that means. Um, I, I do. And I, and I will say, I normally don't really care for it that much. I'm very much of the thought process that, and maybe that's because I'm an editor, which is interesting because Lynn Shelton also started as an editor. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could be wrong. But uh, I, you know, I'm very much of the school that... film is a visual medium and I think a lot of mumblecore tends to feel like almost watching a filmed play and doesn't justify itself as a film I don't think that's true with Lynn I'll be I'll be perfectly honest I think Miss Shelton's work really does show itself off as film I think she's sometimes able to capture in the medium something that most people aren't able to do which is to actually Film the unfilmable, which is people's emotions, their insides, the things that make them who they are, their wants and their needs. And she's able to visualize that through her actors' performances, through the way that she commands the camera, and through her shot selection in the edit room. And I think it's really fascinating because perhaps had we not done this episode, I would not give her the credit that I truly now think that she deserves, which is unfortunate because there is something about that portmanteau of mumblecore that I hate and, mm-hmm. and drives me crazy. Like I'm not a fan really of the Duplass brothers films. I don't mind them as actors, but they're just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And she does something so different and so interesting uh, in comparison to what they do. I don't know. I don't, and I don't want to pit this as like Lynn Shelton versus them, but I don't know. I, I was really no, fascinated. No, they're fighting. Yeah, they're but they're fighting. fighting. <laughs> they're no longer friends. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think it's it's a really interesting thing that I I personally maybe wouldn't have picked up on without you coming on the show, Morgan, to wow. to educate us. I um listened to many a podcast with Lynn Shelton <laughs> and about Lynn Shelton. So I and I think one of the things about her though is that there is kind of like this very quiet genius because 
she was someone who, you know, there was an interview I saw with John Hamm after her death that he was like, she came onto set of Mad Men, like middle of season four. I'm just like doing my thing. And she goes, isn't it so amazing that we get to make TV today? I'm so excited to be here. And he was like, I left and it was like a religious experience. And she was someone who made you feel free enough to do whatever you wanted, but she had an exact vision. So um, not to get into a film, but in your sister's sister, there's a dinner scene and she wanted Emily Blunt to get really embarrassed. So she went up to Rosemary DeWitt said, I would like for you to say the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you or someone you know. And Rosemary DeWitt was like, got this. And she said a very cringeworthy, like anecdote. And after she passed, Emily Blunt brought it up. She was like, I, like my vein popped in my forehead. I was so embarrassed. And it wasn't (laughs) even my actual story. So I think that someone that directs in a way that says, look, I'm giving you some freedom, but I know exactly what I want is such an amazing balance to hold. Yeah, totally. Well, Gavin, what if we learn a little bit more about Miss Shelton and get into our rewind? Lynn Shelton was born August 27th, 1965, uh, which only made her 54 years of age before she passed away, which is very much too young. She was born in Oberlin, Ohio, and raised in Seattle, Washington. She described herself as having been audacious as a young girl, but having lost confidence in her creativity in adolescence. Part of this, I I think, maybe comes from the fact that her parents split up when she was younger. And it's funny, I was watching an interview with her where she was like, I'd like to think, you know, when I looked back, that I was the kid that was like, okay, like, they're splitting up. That's what they're doing. And that, and... I realized that I was kind of a monster about it. And then in retrospect, I found out recently that I was I was kind of a little shit. And when we moved into this new house, or mm. I don't know, was it the first time maybe that my, my stepdad moved in with yeah. us, I drew a map. I don't remember this, but I supposedly presented my parents, my, uh-huh. my mom and stepdad, with a map of yeah. where they were allowed in the house to kiss. Uh-huh. You know, this yeah. shit like that. Wow. <laughs> Director. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, this is a no kissing zone, actually. Yeah, Please. exactly. Please, uh, tongues in your own mouth. <laughs> um, Shelton attended Garfield High School, and after high school, she attended Oberlin College in Ohio, and then the University of Washington School of Drama. She then moved to New York and followed the Masters of Fine Arts program in photography and related media in the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. In a way, she kind of wanted to be an actor for mm-hmm. a bit. Hmm. And then she realized, like, this is not for me. Uh, I would hide behind my telephoto lens of my Pentax 2000 and I would like uh, K1000 and I would uh, and I would find these ways in, you know, I would capture these intimate moments mm-hmm. of vulnerability, you know, yeah. across the gym yeah. with some guy, you know, and so it was, it was the safe place to be, but I was still looking, always looking for connection like we always are. Right? Yeah. Um, but between that and then the acting, which enabled me to just like become somebody else and not worry, and I was very self-conscious. You know, and so there was really a period of time when all I really could do was act because somebody else was telling was like I was a puppet. She fully was somebody who saw the profession, realized what it took to to get into that profession and realized that wasn't what interested her. She wanted to be somewhat behind the scenes. She loved. Someone is dead. (laughs) Someone has died. R.I.P. them. 
she loved photography. She said as a kid, she was always that girl that was wandering around, snapping pictures of people, trying to get them in a more private moment. And that's not necessarily something you can get at as an actor. I mean, there's ways to portray that, but that that's, it's a much more internal feeling. I feel like than, yeah. than, than putting it out there on the stage. Um, so that's why she ended up going for her master's in photography. Um, and, during this time, she also started getting into the film industry, working as a film editor. Um, and she would make a series of experimental short films. Um, and these sort of these experimental pieces become sort of the basis of her later works, her fiction works, uh, because she would create them with what you could describe as like an anthropological sort of study like they're hmm. they're more internal once again i'm just gonna keep saying internal you're just gonna have to keep coming with me deeper and deeper inward and, <laughs> and, and they would you know they'd be more about what was going on inside than they were necessarily about you know what is actually happening on screen it's funny because we i found in this process and i emailed you guys about it because it is on youtube uh a short documentary she did it's actually one of the last things she did before moving into um a much more narrative based filmmaking style this short documentary is called the clouds that touched us out of clear skies it was made in 2000 and it is a short experimental documentary as i said you can find it on youtube you can find it on vimeo about miscarriages and it's set to these impressionistic images and it's all these women talking about this very personal experience they've had set to these beautiful moments of like leaves or nails or hands taking petals off of things. And it's actually quite a, the subject matter is obviously very heavy, but it's quite a beautiful experience to watch. I don't know if either of you got a chance to check that out. I did. Um, and I think the person who had uploaded it onto YouTube is someone who actually worked with Lynn a lot in Seattle. Um, but uh, I found it really interesting in the fact that she uses those images and like, you're not, you're not seeing a whole bunch of people. Like you're seeing hands right. lighting candles and stuff like that. And it's um, such an interesting way of being able to say like, this could be anyone. Cause I think that miscarriage pregnancy loss um infant loss is such a taboo thing, even though one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And it's very interesting how she was very willing to talk about that 20 years before uh, an Oscar nominated performance covered that exact same thing. Yeah. Um, And I mean, as someone who was an actor, like she, she loved people and that kind of came out in those experimental shorts as well. I, and that's, I, I love that you mentioned that because that to me was the most brilliant thing about it is we as a society sort of place such a stigma on being able to talk about something like child loss. And yet it is something that, you know, assigned female at birth, women and men go through. And it is, I don't know, I found it amazing that even at such a young age, her 
brain and her heart were filled with such compassion. Because like I said, it's a heavy subject. It's not the easiest thing to get to. You're literally listening to people talk about losing a child. And in graphic detail... I was completely unprepared for the pain. I had been planning for a natural childbirth at home. I read all these books, and I had become overconfident. I really thought to myself, I do yoga, I know how to breathe, I'll be fine. But it's such a cathartic experience because it, it, it feels like you're able to get that some of their pain out of them and out of you at the same time. I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, man, I almost wish she'd made more experimental stuff <laughs> like more. But there's no market for it. I get it. <laughs> you know what it feels like. I mean, going through her career, she kind of like I mean, I was reading up uh, a story that sh- she had. Um, <clears throat> it was for The New York Times. She did an interview and she kind of was like, I because wasn't there a time where she went to go do like a bigger movie and she was like, fuck, I really want to go back to doing like literally no literally no money shitty cameras and just like cool people and like working to to me it seems and i don't mean this to sound like no one else is a real fucking artist not like lynn <laughs> i don't mean to for to sound like that but i think for her it's not so much of like i want to be a director filmmaker in hollywood and be that person it really sounds like she just loved creating and being an artist she put the artist before directing yeah um where i think even though i I, there are plenty of directors out there who i would consider an artist i think they put the directing first Mm -hmm. she is more interested in like truth telling A, a lot of her work i would say almost all of it um is just like she wants the extreme realism she wants to work with the actors in crafting the story and like wanting to get it really deep in there. She's not behind the camera, just like calling cut in action. She is like, let's work together. And we're making this little like art project together. I do it an upside down way where I'm, I'm sort of developing the script alongside the development of the characters Mm -hmm. because I want to know who the characters are. I have to know who the characters are before I can believably, um, you know, write what they would believably do in a scene, Uh how, what they would say, how they would act. And the more you know about the characters, the easier it is to write what they would do, because it's like you're then you can just sort of improvise the scene out in your head because you know who they are. Right. You know, I don't like to throw people into an improv situation when they don't have any of that stuff. It's funny that you would say that, too. And we're going to get to this actually much, much further into this podcast episode. But she actually ended up having, having to turn down some work because she was like, no ma'am like what <laughs> what is this what is this nonsense she's um, like marvel please Ugh. yeah exactly but why don't we get actually into her career so this is the thing that i think most people don't realize about lynn shelton um she had wanted to be a director but she was already in her mid-30s and she was like it's too late it's never gonna happen um and then she saw claire denis at seattle's northwest film forum in 2003 for independent film in particular i found that i would go to these festivals and all of my peers were usually men usually white and they were usually often under 25 Mm -hmm. i mean young young (laughs) men claire denis came to seattle she's a film director who's french and she um as i found out she had she had made it up to that point i think six or eight films all of them beautiful, highly regarded, you know, can films. And um, 
I found out in this uh, this onstage talk that she was doing that she didn't make her first feature till she was 40. And she had spent 20 years, she started as an assistant director to Francois Truffaut in the, you know, at the age of 20 and had continued to work at, in the crews of other people's movies, but didn't actually write and direct her first feature till 40. And I remember thinking, oh my God, okay, I have, you know, it was like three years left or something, four <laughs> years left, but now I can do this, I can do this, I can still have a career. In 2004, she began writing and directing her first feature film we go way back it depicts a 23 year old actress named kate who's confronted by her 13 year old self um the it's, it's sort of impressionistic you know it starts off with her reading letters that she wrote to herself and being like oh if you read this 10 years down the line like but she actually ends up having an experience where she runs into her younger self she sort of runs away and and right like basically starts to interact with her younger self. Um, it ended up premiering at slam dance in 2006. Did either of you get a chance to watch? We go way back. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I almost wish she did more weird stuff in her career too. I love this idea of being able to confront your younger self to have your younger self confront you. And I thought, I thought it was really beautiful um, to, to, have that sort of metaphor be realized as something much much less otherworldly, much more common. It wasn't like she was like, huh, a ghost. It's younger yeah. me or anything. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, well, this is happening. Guess I got to deal with it and got to go along with it. And I, I love that aspect of it. Also, I found this movie fucking hilarious. I thought all of the uh, stuff with the Hedda Gabler play was really fucking funny. And what makes it even better is one of her editing jobs prior to this was editing a film version of Hedda Gabler. So, like, I I just, like, all I could think of was, like, oh, she's drawing on some real-life experiences here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all I could think of when I watched this movie was Lynn Shelton thinks art is actually stupid. Um, and, like... <laughs> Like, cause I connected mostly with that stuff because it's just the sharpest, like, even though there were uh, obviously these other personal parts with running into herself, it seems to me like this poor woman, Kate, who like, they just abuse, like, yeah. you know, do make her fucking learn how to gabbler in, what is it, Danish or some shit. So what do you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. Listen. I've realized since I've been uh, uh, reading... Okay, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Kate, I need for you to learn Norwegian. Norwegian? At least well enough to do the play. Hedda must speak Ibsen's actual words. Wow. (laughs) Really? Norwegian production? Well, actually, Hedda will be the only one who speaks the original text. And then they're like, never mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's like... it feels like she's saying, you know, like, the gatekeepers of art are all stupid, and, like, it doesn't matter, like, just do whatever you want. And so I just thought it was really funny, especially because the entire movie in of itself is very, like, underground indie. And so, like, it could, like, if I were to see the the cover of We Go Way Back, I'd be like, oh, this is, like, indie nonsense. Yeah. But the movie itself is actually, like, <laughs> uh shitting on like yeah there is indie nonsense out there that is nonsense like you don't have to be any type of way to appreciate art i find it very interesting that she chose that play too because like it's really meant for like 
a much older woman. Yes. Um, right. yeah. And I mean, it kind of is also like a tongue in cheek about how we're, we try to age women, even though we still want them to be as young as humanly possible in Hollywood and in art. Um, so like, I found that really interesting, especially, and then as she like conf- is confronted by her younger self of like her going like, oh, I guess I actually have more living. I'm, I'm 23. I thought I had everything. Um, yeah. And so I, I just kind of find those layers of just like being added into the film um, super interesting. I will say, like, I didn't, like, you know, did I like watching this movie? Not really, but, like, I love the discourse of this movie. Like, because mm-hmm. there are so many interesting things about this movie. And even, like, you know, she gets sexually assaulted in this movie. And it's, like, it's almost as if, you know, Lynn is saying so much with so little. She's, like, this woman is abused as a worker and is taken advantage of. And h- look how easy that can, like, turn to being physically taken advantage of and sexually being taken advantage of um, and kind of this woman in this industry that is not kind to women in the first place, um, you know, is kind of like broken by it and has to like really reflect on herself and uh, looking f- to the future of like how to change things. So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention like she, she there is a lot here, especially for a first film. Yeah. It's kind of um, meaty. My first uh, feature, which is really about the way that we are different selves in different points in our lives. Mm-hmm. And the, the pre and post adolescent selves mm. were something I was looking back on and was like, wow, that was fascinating. Cause those were like polar opposite kind of personalities. When I was in my late thirties, I was looking back at that is this thing that happens when you become sexualized for some, some girls, some women, a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, where I was, I just felt like I was the, you know, peak the top of my game when I was like 12, 13. And yeah. I was, writing stories, writing poetry, painting, Confident. playing music, doing, yeah, acting, doing all this stuff mm-hmm. and taking photographs and, um, had such a clarity of vision and a confidence in my voice and, yeah. you know, and then, yeah, cut to like 20, that mm. was like a gradual grinding down, okay. I think, you know, yeah. and it wasn't anything to do with my folks. My, I was always told by both of them, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. It was society really, you know, and this kind of become like, I, I got really big boobs and yeah. I was I could very like people were I felt and I already had the tendency to be sort of self-conscious no that wasn't I don't think I did I was very androgynous and tomboy before then I felt sort of betrayed by my body yeah, and like right what the fuck you yeah, know that right. isn't who I am and, right it went under scene for a really long time uh, I don't think it actually ended up coming out to be available for rent for, in like a mass market until maybe laggies came out so <laughs> yeah so like it's on it's on like the IFC channel if you have Amazon yeah. Prime or something. I just rented it off of Amazon Prime. I was just like, I will I will pay my two dollars. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, go to the moon or whatever you're doing. Um <laughs> in in two thousand eight, uh she released her second film, My Effortless Brilliance. It's a dark comedy about two friends sort of reconnecting with each friends? other. I know. Question mark. Um it's very low budge it's very like very very low budge. yeah it's like shot on video i mean one of the actors is the lead singer of harvey danger who i thought was great in the movie i'll be honest i don't want to make that sound like a pejorative but um (laughs) yeah it's i i liked it like i said i i ended up liking more of these movies than disliking um and i do want to mention that 
the thing I think is interesting, and I don't want to just compare her to um, another female filmmaker, but this film actually reminded me a lot of Kelly Reichardt's Old Joy. And I think what's interesting about comparing the two is I do think when you have a woman writing about friendship of men, it's always slightly more deeper than I think most men are willing to go in an introspective portion. And old joy, it seems to me that the the relationship between these two men, it's much more clearly queer in some way but this also felt a little like because it got so introspective i was kind of like what if they just fucking kissed i was like if they kissed maybe they'd be okay but no i I don't think i mean i don't think so but i was like i kept getting like a weird like the vibes from it i was like huh what is going on here the vibes are just weird this movie i think is very weird it's funny but like in a sad way. Yeah, it's very uh, sad. I will also admit it's sad. Like I, I think she does have like this um, fascination with like men and like the question: Are straight men okay? Um, and <laughs> and like again, this movie kind of follows up like art is stupid and artists are sometimes assholes. And yeah. like this main guy is like this asshole writer who is just like. He's essentially that guy you run into all the time who's like, oh, you haven't been to Mykonos? Right. That's the that's this guy, except it's like, oh, you haven't read my second book? Um, it, it, his character really reminded me of, actually, and I, this is another comparison, but um, there's a great comic. It's three comics, and it's called Fonte Bukowski, and it's by Noah Van Shriver, and he's really, really funny. He's both the artist and the author, and the main character is just this sort of unrepentant asshole who just yeah. thinks that everything he's written is brilliant and and I and I liked seeing that I liked watching this movie and seeing that character in a slightly more realistic way uh, because the Fonte Bukowski books are a bit more extreme nobody could ever like this person but I <laughs> kind of started to like this guy the more that I understood him through the Lynn Shelton lens watching my effortless brilliance yeah, it's kind of one of those things, too, where it's like almost that um, Shakespearean comedy where it's like, oh, miscommunication, because like one person has a very different definition of what their relationship is than the other yeah. person. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny and like very painful at the same time, because it's like, oh, man, like. I think everyone has at least one instance where they thought that they really were much closer with another person than the other person uh, held in their mind. Um, But yeah, it, she really does have, I really like that theme of our straight men. Okay. And (laughs) very frequently she's just saying no. No. And that's okay. Literally. literally No, no. No. I, I could not, I could not believe like, it reminded me so much of my time in undergrad where, like, you just don't know who you are. And I just kept thinking, like, are these people, like, it feels like that energy, like, I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm doing, of, like, your freshman year in college, but these people are, like, 38. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Like, and and the idea of, like, I'm just going to crash at my not-friend's place and get fucked up and then go hunt a cougar, like... 
straight men aren't okay <laughs> they aren't okay I, I do have to ask before we need to jump into the next film because i do think our straight men okay is the perfect bridge to the next film but i rewatched the beginning of my effortless brilliance like three times because i was like did we ever figure out what the like the impetus of their fight is these two men <laughs> I, I don't I, think I, so. I don't think so either. Literally, one of them just walks in and tells the other one he's a terrible friend. I... I think you're a terrible friend. <laughs> I, I know. Um, I think you're... You're an asshole. You've always been... You've always been a total asshole. I love that. I love that. Even <laughs> if it made me go back and watch it a couple different times... I'm cool with not knowing. It's the cask of Amontillado. Like, you don't know exactly why someone right. is about to wall up another person in a cellar, <laughs> but, like, we're into it, it that vibe, and we're just going to go with it. Absolutely. But you, like, understand why. Like, you, know, you, you don't know the particulars, right. but you're like, something has happened, and I'm buying into it, especially because this writer <laughs> guy is so, like awful i was like i would tell that guy he's not a good friend but speaking of <laughs> our straight men okay um her next film 2009's hump day it premieres at sundance magnolia pictures buys it um it ends up getting showed at con uh sif south by southwest and it it's ends kind up, of a smash right yeah, like it's her it, breakthrough it opens in new york and seattle yeah exactly what you just said it's her breakthrough it's a huge hit um, it's Mark Duplass and Joshua Leonard who play sort of slightly estranged friends. Uh, again, uh, Mark Duplass, uh, has, had just recently married, or I don't know how recent it is, but sometime within the last couple of years, Alicia Delmore's character and Joshua Leonard shows up at their house to kind of crash. They, they, <laughs> Joshua Leonard's like this kind of free spirit and he ends up at a party and at this party they hear about this film festival The Stranger puts on every year by the way this is real The Stranger actually does put on this film festival every year um, and they decide that they're gonna make a porno together and what makes it art <laughs> bear with me folks because I know we do have a queer audience mm -hmm. is that it's going to be <gasps> two straight guys fucking each other mm -hmm. <laughs> as if just 90% of gay porn isn't already built around that scenario. <laughs> right. Just to be clear, the film festival is a porn film festival. Yes. Um, yes. And and they these kooky booky characters that they meet up with are like, oh my god, what? Like, we're gonna apply, and they're like, we can do it too. I think the crazy, interesting thing about this movie uh, is that the marriage between Mr. Duplass and his lovely wife seems wonderful. It seems... <laughs> like the perfect marriage and yeah. i do not understand why he like straight men aren't okay he's going off the deep end he says wait am i boring now maybe i need to fuck my friend who i've never haven't seen in five years <laughs> right <sighs> and like like yeah i i have my issues with this but i do want to say one of the two women that joshua leonard meets at this party who are lesbian lovers um are one of them is played by lynn shelton herself mm -hmm. and she gives my favorite performance in the movie she's every time amazing. she's on camera i'm just like why did she not act more <laughs> yeah she's really good I what I like about this film though, and uh, so I listened to a recent episode of Lost Culturistas where B.D. Wong was on and talking about Mulan and how 
straight men, cisgender men have a really hard time with a spectrum experience and like uh-huh. their experience has to be very binary. Um, right. Where like, again, more cisgender, you know, normally labeled as straight women are like, yeah, I've had an experience with my friend. That's what yeah. spring break is for. Um, <laughs> so like, You don't hear men being like, I went on spring break and kissed my buddy. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there's not. And so it's really interesting that she was like, but what if we forced men to try to figure out that this is <laughs> right. more of a spectrum? Because, you know, she is someone who has been open about having um, – experiences in the past with women and you know understanding that love does not fall into a dichotomy but is something that is very uh, malleable and fluid and um she I, I really like that she was like let me find two very boring white dudes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and m- make them try to kiss yeah and uh, they do kiss, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the extent. Yeah, that's so. She said two things. Uh, one, I was I was definitely totally going to get to the like shy bisexual thing in two, yes. 2012 in an interview with the Advocate. She did quote unquote come out as a shy bisexual. I did listen to a Fresh Air interview with her where she slightly David Bowie'd it by being like, "Oh, I don't know if I use those words exactly." I don't remember saying shy bisexual. Maybe I did say that and I'm just blotting it out. Um it's not like I'm an active bisexual, but I've fallen for all stripes of human beings in this world, you know, and I've fallen for straight men. I've fallen for gay men. I've fallen for straight women and gay women. I really have, you know, had crushes on just every, every single kind of person in the, in the world. And, and so, you know, there was this period of time in my life when I, I had this sort of romantic idea that, that everybody was like that, you know, that we're all human beings and that, um, a person is a person, and if there weren't these sort of societal ideas about gender and sexual orientation that, you know, anybody could fall in love with anybody. And it was really, you know, making Hump Day was the experience that really showed me that is so not true, you know, <laughs> that some people... <laughs> Some people really, truly are straight. You know, there there's a spectrum and that there are people who are really at one or the other. One of the things that we haven't really mentioned is part of Lynn Shilton's filmmaking style when it comes to actors is that she's very much into improv, but not sort of in the same way. If you're if you listen to the show, you know, we did Christopher Guest, who's a filmmaker who deals almost solely in improv. This is very different. This is weeks work of character building and really digging into people. She said, you know, one time she was asked about her approach to doing comedy. um, And she said, when we're on set, it's really essential that none of us, not the actors or myself either think we're in a comedy because that's when I find, especially with improvisation, you start reaching for jokes. You start sort of soft shoeing and try to entertain people. And I don't want that. I want us just always be playing to the truth of the scene and I really have no idea how many laughs there are going to be. We're playing it so straight that it's really hard to tell the forest for for the trees. What I'm looking for is naturalism, an extreme level of naturalism to the degree that, that, you know, it almost feels like a documentary, you know, that it just feels like real flesh and blood people having real conversations on screen. And I have found that incorporating improvisation to a certain degree really, really helps in that quest. 
And I think that's very true with this movie specifically. I think there are points where you can kind of see them improving. And she said the most improv was they had nothing planned when they went to the hotel room. Mm-hmm. They knew that they were going to go to the hotel room, but she wanted to leave it up to both men to do the thing that they would feel comfortable with. And so she was sort of like, we genuinely didn't know what was going to happen in that hotel room. And I mean, I think that's interesting. I think that makes that finale much more interesting, whether you find it climactic or anticlimactic. I like the idea that they sort of had the power to determine which way this film was going to go. And yeah, and she, she handed it over to them. What if like they showed up and like they fully just like go to Bone Town? Oh yeah, <laughs> should be like. Well, what? I guess I'm submitting this to a different festival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. She's like, when is the stranger holding a Hump Day festival? Like, <laughs> I feel like I watched this movie a long time ago, and I certainly was like waiting, hoping for them to like actually do it, um, and just like being like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yes, hello. Um, but you know, it's, I, I'm conflicted with hump day. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea because certainly like they even say like, even them like hugging without shirts on, they're kind of like trying to like rationalize themselves. Like we're just wearing bathing suits and we haven't seen each other in a long time. So now we're hugging. Um, and so like, it's almost like she's trolling straight men with this movie. It's almost (laughs) like, she's like, yeah, you guys are fucking ridiculous. Do you see this shit? Um, yeah, it's she's she's a she's a she's an interesting one for sure. But yeah. I just always felt really bad about like the poor wife and like this whole idea that like God, I'm so boring and like I I was like God, these the trauma like what is going on and this poor wife has to like admit like she's like well I did kiss a guy once so like I guess you could make this movie. I was like what 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 is happening? Oh. In 2011, Your Sister Sister premieres at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, this film stars Emily Blunt, Rosemarie DeWitt, and Mark Duplass again. Um, and it explores, you know, the situation between these two half-sisters um, and also Mark Duplass's character, who is friends with Emily Blunt, and he's having a really hard time because his brother just passed away. So she's, she suggests that he go up to her, is it her father's cabin? Mm-hmm. She, he go up to her father's cabin. Um, there he runs into her sister, Rosemarie DeWitt, who is a lesbian, but decides to sleep with him anyways, uh, which you find out reasons later. Spoilers. And Emily Blunt ali- arrives uh, with the intention of telling Mark Duplass that she's actually in love with him. And so there's this love triangle that forms. Uh, Lynn Shelton once said, everybody has had that experience of going home for Thanksgiving and starting to act 10 years old again because they're in the same situation with their parents and their siblings. So you get to go back to this rut again of who you were when you were first becoming a grown-up. It's not until you get out of that that you can break out of those bonds, but we still get trapped by them when we return. And I think that's very telling about this movie. I love the the relationship between Emily Blunt and Rosemary DeWitt. I love the, the stuff between Rosemary DeWitt and Mark Duplass. I don't know if I love the stuff between Mark Duplass and Emily Blunt, but that's a whole other thing, which I do think is interesting, by the way. Um, this movie originally was supposed to be uh, Rachel Vice, uh, oh. Emily Blunt, and Rose and Mark Duplass. Wow, what can you imagine? Actually, if it was just the three women, no. But it was she was supposed <laughs> to be playing the Rosemary Dewitt role, and 
she'd spent months doing character work with them where they came up with backstories with everybody. And a week before filming, she had to drop out and they had they called Rosemary DeWitt to come in. I think she gives my favorite performance in the movie. I think mm-hmm. she's like a breath of fresh air every time she's on screen. My friend Jackie calls this movie the one where Rosemary DeWitt tries to steal Mark Duplass's sperm. That's the tagline. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's the <laughs> I had never seen this movie before. And like when she sleeps with him, I was just like, is that something bisexual women just like to do once in a while? I fully was like, I was like, is this problematic? Like, how come every time there's a bisexual woman on, a, yeah. on stage, like, she's always having to fuck a dude. Turns um, out, nope, 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 nope. She wasn't into it really at all. <laughs> also, I guess she's not bisexual. She's, she's a lesbian. She yeah. was, so, and I was like, God, Herald, every movie. She's a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Every movie where there's like a lesbian woman, she has to end up fucking a guy. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then plot twist later. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Okay. You're like, Lynn Shelton knows this beat. She's no Kevin Smith. She yeah, knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I think the dynamic between the sisters is really fascinating and really deep and well thought through and well acted and presented on screen. And I just love the, I think what's really interesting about what Rosemary DeWitt is doing and what Mark Duplass are doing when they're alone in a room together is you can see their armor, the the stuff mm. that you put on when you, never met a person before but you're trapped with them in a situation and you like kind of want to get to know them and and there's weakenings of that you know he gets out the booze and they have a drink together but i i like that you can in in most films they the filmmaker wouldn't have the the time to to care about that but i like seeing it i like watching it work its way till they literally remove their clothes. They literally take their armor off and yeah. go to bed together. Um, I don't know. It's a, To me, it's a really fascinating film. I think that Emily Blunt kind of has the harder job because Rosemary DeWitt and Mark Duplass are essentially two sides to the same coin. And she is the odd person out with both of them because she's someone who very much both wears her heart on her sleeve and then also makes sacrifices for other people. And I find that performance really interesting because, you know, here she is catering to her older sister. Here she is trying to help her friend through an experience that she's never lived through. And at the same time, all of the things that she wants, she keeps putting on the back burner for other people's happiness. And I just find that dynamic really interesting because she's trying to fit in like that dinner scene table is both funny and painful again, because (laughs) here is this person who is desperately in love with this man and also feels very much in this older sister's shadow and also slightly responsible for her older sister's trauma because they share the same father, but they have different mothers. Yeah. And I think it's some of Emily Blunt's best work, um, in my opinion. <laughs> no, I, th- I I actually really agree. Um, the When I mentioned earlier that I don't love the Mark Duplass stuff with her, it's not on her end. <laughs> <laughs> if that's, you know, that's just my uh, my opinion. I think you're, he, you're not a Duplass. I, I just had a hard time with him as a romantic lead. That's all. That's all. <laughs> 
That's uh, uh, it, her next film is 2013's Touchy Feely. It premieres also at Sundance again. Um, it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize. It returning Rosemary DeWitt, um, also starring Allison Janning and Elliot Page. Uh, Touchy Feely, she said, was like sort of a return to like really personal stuff. She was really working out a lot of her own depression demons through the Rosemary DeWitt character. Uh, at the same time, she was attempting to write another film with Josh Pius, who is plays one of the leads. He plays Rosemary DeWitt's brother. Oh, the uh, dentist. Yeah, she she was writing this movie with him about a dentist who becomes like a faith healer. And then she realized, why don't we just combine them? And, you know, yours, this this sort of more outrageous comedy became a much more subdued, intricate piece. Um, I feel like Touchy Feely is sort of the outlier in her filmography. I think a, lo- a lot of people don't like it or it, d- it didn't receive the, the raves that mm-hmm. every um, I but, I, you know, honestly, even when the stuff do- when when not all of the pieces fit for me, the parts i think are really beautiful i think some of the most beautiful stuff is in this movie there's a scene where rosemary dewitt um takes an ecstasy and runs into an old lover which by the way lynn shelton had um in the original draft was going to make him not real was going to he was going to be a a hallucination um that scene where she tells him about her first time is so beautiful and as it turns out is word for word from lynn shelton's life and i don't know i the movie is totally worth it for that scene and the scene at the end when they're listening to uh the musician the that gets healed Mm, by mm -hmm. the dentist is also incredibly beautiful i don't know also I'm, another thing I discovered is I have the same musical taste as Lynn Shelton. <laughs> all, all throughout all these films, I was like, yes, this is early 2000s emo, and I'm into it. Um, but yeah. But I I don't know. How did you guys feel about Touchy Feely? I was uh, less enamored by it. I think, like, and I, I, this did remind me a little bit of the Christopher Guest uh, reaction I got, not because of the improvisation, but just because, like, there is some, like, um, especially in this movie, like, there has to be, like, some uh, suspension of belief. I'm, like, the whole thing with, like, the dentist who becomes a faith healer and, like, he's, like, trying to tell all these people, he's, like, I'm not a magician. I'm not, like, healing your fucking jaws, TMJ. And they're, like, no. Oh, my God. It's crazy. And, like, <laughs> there's just, like, a lot of, like, antics that ha- that happen to, like, lead these people to their revelations. I thought Elliot Page's character um, randomly kind of falling for Rosemary DeWitt's, like, boyfriend was unnecessary. Oh, yeah, I didn't like that at all. I was like, why? Like, what what purpose does this serve in a larger story? I didn't understand. And I love both of them. I love Scoot McNary. I love Elliot Page. His name's Scoot? Yeah, Scoot. (laughs) They they just didn't, didn't connect on that level either. So then it felt... Well, like, I think, like, I feel like, you know, they shouldn't have connected and, like, that's, you know, he's, like, denying him, but it's, like, but why? What is the motivation for this dentist's daughter to suddenly, like, want to make out with her, I don't know what the relationship, her aunt, right? It would be her Mm -hmm. aunt. Um, Her aunt's boyfriend. Like, I, it, 
there is a lot. Allison Janney's character, why is she making out with the dentist at the end? Like, right. what is? I there was a lot here that I was like, okay, see, it. I did not know that it was two movies that got combined into one, and now I'm like, oh, now so it sort of makes more sense. Yeah, there's a million fucking ideas here, um, and yeah, so. yeah, I think some of that outlier stuff kind of does muddle it but like when you look at just the you have a massage therapist who now has a complete aversion to touch and a dentist who is probably one of the least liked doctors (laughs) that everyone has to visit has the magic touch that those are two very interesting concepts and do pair well together it's just some of that other stuff becomes super big background noise that kind of yes. clouds it. Give me a break. What do you mean give you a break? Why didn't you send them? It's a really bad time. It's a great time. It's not a great time. Why? We can barely pay Susan. Okay. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that we haven't had a new client forever and all of Grandpa's clients are dying Yeah, and that's not your problem. Yeah. It's too like pretty and like too precise that it doesn't make sense because at the end of like um, your sister's sister, it's not precise. It's not pretty. It's like, you know, you see all the jagged edges and in the end it's still okay and it's going to be fine. Same thing happens at hump day. Like it's not, you know, like a bow is put on it. And I feel like it for whatever reason, touchy feely decided it needed to have that. It's weird. Well, and there's also the problem that happens with a lot of like the non-structured filmmakers and like the mumble core is like so i enjoy like a joe swamberg film but digging with fire has too many people in it and it becomes <laughs> this thing where it's like oh i just have to keep adding people that i want to play with into my films until all of a sudden i have like 18 different people who aren't actually doing anything for 90 <laughs> minutes yeah. and you know like Lynch Elton never gets that bad, but like this one definitely felt like it was like, oh, I really do want to work with this person. Let me like, when do you get to work with Allison Janey? When do you get to yeah, work right. with Elliot Page, especially after Juno and Whip It? Oh, right. right. You want to be in my film? Yeah, I will yeah. literally <laughs> write you anything. So, yeah. Yeah, fair. Speaking of working with big actors, her next film, uh, the film we've all been waiting for it. Uh, 2014's Laggies, which was the first film that she actually didn't write for herself. Uh, she did just working as a director, um, starring Kira Knightley, Chloe Grace Moretz, um, uh, of Tom and Jerry fame. Yes, Everybody, yeah, yes. 2021's Tommy Jerry, um, and Sam Rockwell. We covered this film a little bit in the Sam Rockwell episode. Um, my the biggest thing that I learned this time around, uh, I like this movie. I'm not, I'm not shitting on it, but Anne Hathaway was supposed to former subject. Anne Hathaway was supposed to play the Keira Knightley role and she had to back out and they were not sold on Keira Knightley at first. And then she came (sighs) in and like blew them away. And I do think she's particularly good in this movie. So, um, but yeah, uh, laggies. (laughs) It's, it's so funny. Like, again, this, I didn't really catch this. It's so, I'm like my train of thoughts all over the place. But when I first saw this movie, I just thought like, oh, what a kind of kooky bookie rom-com. Seeing it within the canon of Lynn Shelton, I'm truly just like, what the fuck is up with like 
her obsession <laughs> with 30 year olds who are just like fuck ups who have like you know and and even like in hump day where uh the duplass character he's not a fuck up he's like ashamed about it like mm-hmm. and needs to like be less boring and less like you know i sold out and in this movie Kira Knightley's character is like la 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 I, I again have this great relationship don't want it um and all my friends even though her friends are assholes yeah I was gonna say is it a great relationship because I will go out on limb and say I don't think Kira Knightley's a fuck up in this movie I think she's painted as one because her friends are all like we're getting married and we're doing it for the gram and she's like no thanks well <laughs> like, maybe fuck up's too strong for her but like it's it's just like Lynn has this obsession with like people who are like lost in the sort wilderness. Of underachieving. Very that. Yeah. I think so much of it is like existential ennui is not just for being 21 years old. Like that, <laughs> it haunts you for forever. Yeah. And that's I a think very good that, way to put it. And I was sort of wanted to revisit some of the territory that I was exploring in that first film. Um, and Laggy's kind of op- gave the opportunity because there's a relationship between a 20-something woman and somebody in their teens. And in We Go Way Back, it was it was two selves. It was the 20, this 23-year-old woman and her actual 13-year-old self. And there's a little turn of magic realism and they they end up being physically together. And for a while, there was an, uh, there was an idea that it would just be a proxy. It wouldn't be her actual 13-year-old self. It would be, you know, a Chloe Moretz. It would be it would be like a you know some neighbor or cousin or somebody sort of came into her life and reminded her of herself or, or whatever. And Laggies was sort of like, oh, this is like a whole other way that I could have made that first film. So I, I see those two in their connections between different films. Laggies is her only like fully scripted film. Like everything else had improv. She didn't. This one she followed to the letter what was in the screenplay, but. I mean, I love that she just kind of is like, hey, guess what? You become a little bit smarter and you give like a little bit less of a shit as you get older, but existence haunts you for forever. And so you have to learn to live with it. Yeah. And you are going to get the guy. Yes. (laughs) See, now I've come back and I think Kira's character is a fuck up. Like anyone who's hanging out with four. I just talked you into it. Shit. If you're hanging out with four high school kids and you're like about to be 30, like that's a fuck up. Like, I'm sorry. It's like. True. I'll I'll give you that. It's like, you know. I don't want to hang out with high school kids. So I'll give you that. If if you're an adult and like you have to make these decisions, like it's one thing to like buy kids alcohol, which is bad. Don't do that. But like. And then move on with your fucking life and be like, oh, wow, I see myself in that young girl. But then to be like, I want to escape my relationship that I don't think I like anymore. That's a a normal thing. But to escape into a young girl's house and try and hide that from her father, that's fuck up moves, babe. I'm sorry. (laughs) Dad, you do know you can't lecture her all night, right? She's not a kid. Oh, really? You stuck your friend into my house. I think you're lacking say-so here. If you let her spend the night in your locker, no, that's school's property. If you let her spend the night in your backpack, yes. No, that's, actually, I paid for the backpack, so I guess that's my property. I don't know. Why don't you put a case together and come back? So I will also say I love Caitlin Deaver in this film so much. Yeah. Oh, I think she is amazing. the unsung hero of Caitlin Deaver in general, underrated. Yes, yeah. but yeah. I mean, 
Mark Weber asking her, what was your spirit animal in, at your thing? And she goes, I'm my own animal with uh-huh. just and such a straight delivery. Yeah, you, you just recently talked about this movie on your own podcast. Yes. And so I, I think it's funny, like, because I, I knew we probably aren't going to be able to get into as deep of conversation as you got into that. But I, I do appreciate how much you appreciate it because I do like this movie. I'll so. talk about Caitlin Deaver just randomly doing <laughs> shit for forever. <laughs> Same, I love that girl. In 2015, she's invited by the Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences, Oscars, into the director's branch of that, which is very cool and good for her. Um, in 2017, her next film, her her penultimate film, Outside In, uh, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. This stars Jay Duplass, Edie Falco, Caitlin Deaver, and Ben Schwartz. Uh, this was really her big foray into drama i mean Mm -hmm. i i do think there are funny moments in this movie this movie's certainly more sour than sweet though i would say it's about jay duplass getting out of prison after having spent 20 years for um committing murder as you find out possibly just taking the rap for a murder and edie falco is his former high school teacher who stayed in contact with him the whole time and really was the impetus for him getting out and he tries to adjust back into life um and also starts to kind of fall in love with Edie Falco who is a adult woman in a loveless relationship um and her daughter is played by Caitlin Deaver um do want to mention how she's involved in the film and yeah, I don't know. I, I found this really sweet and, and also like brought up a lot of things I didn't think about, which is the fact that like if you spend 20 years in prison, you missed cell phones, basically. Yeah. Like, Yeah. I, I love this movie a lot. I, I was like kind of surprised at all that uh, empathy and like all that love that she like you, you were talking about Morgan like into this movie. I think well, also Edie Falco is such an incredible actress. Oh my God. Edie Falco is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think Jay is probably the better actor of the Duplass brothers. Also uh, agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think like it's pretty clear that he's, I mean, Edie Falco is working essentially with this like uh, justice project where she's getting people who are wrongfully convicted out you kind of learn that they've fallen in love through their um, letter writing and her, her work for him, but also like that she's fallen in love with work. She's fallen in love with this work. She has a new passion. She's kind of not only finding herself this new partner, but finding like a new passion for her life where, you know, her husband's kind of a sad sack. Caitlin Deaver as the daughter has kind of like um, separated herself from the family or yeah. is just not present. Um, I just think Jay and Edie play it so well together and this guy who's truly lost and doing his best and um, trying to also not just like blow up the world, you know, like he's like, fuck. Uh. And it's funny, too, because it in a way he ends up playing the sort of I mean, at this point, almost 40. And they bring that up a lot that he's almost 40. But he is sort of playing the like 30 year old fuck up mm-hmm. that, you know, she normally assigns to a character. And I think it's interesting to actually give a character a reason why he's sort of had this arrested development, which is that he spent a majority of the time in which you really mature as a person locked behind bars. And so there's a great scene where they go out on a date 
And he, like, takes her to all the things you would do on a high school date. They go, like, bowling and to the arcade. And I, I don't know. I found it really charming and very sweet and um, quiet little film. I don't know. But I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, she she said, I'm making all these movies in Seattle, babe. There's... <laughs> Uh, except for the last one yeah except for the last one i just think it shows off a a really different side of washington state that you're not used to seeing in her movies yeah because it's a much more like rural because she normally like films around seattle and so it felt much more rural much more of like this tight-knit community that this person has to reintegrate themselves into um but i also particularly like uh jj plus and caitlin deaver together because it's almost like to mature enough to be f- functioning at a base level, but not mature enough to actually be functioning as full adults, like yeah. trying to swap, like how do I don't quite understand how I'm supposed to figure this out. Yeah. And it's very interesting watching him not have the answers for her because mm-hmm. lackeys was one of those films where it was like, <laughs> look, I have answers for you. Um, take them or leave them. And this one was just kind of like, hey, I actually don't know. And it's, as you said, due to him not getting to live life during those years of maturity. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I hadn't thought about that, but like the uh, parallel of Chloe Grace Moretz and Kieran Knightley and then Caitlin Deaver to Jay Plus and those, I mean, obviously like in one, Caitlin Deaver is kind of developing a little bit of a crush. Um but also, like, wanting to, like, live ahead of her years yeah. um, in the same way that Chloe Grace is. Uh, yeah. And that also then connects into her first film as well. We go way back. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting sort of triple triple parallel. Is that a thing? It sounds like a swimming move. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> unintended um, trilogy. An unintended trilogy. Her final film was 2019's Sort of Trust. It is a much more comedic you know it's back from that drama area premiered at south by southwest um in the film cynthia played by jillian bell inherits a sword from her deceased grandfather which she tries to sell as saying the south won the civil war um this film also stars mark Marin, john bass and michaela watkins um jillian bell and michaela watkins play a lesbian couple in it um they try and sell this sword to mark Marin, who is a pawn shop dealer and yeah, it's uh, it's funny <laughs> at moments. I like, I like this movie. Oh, uh, I, I I didn't I didn't. I'll I'll be honest. I didn't dislike it. And I may be giving it not enough credit. Um, I I will fucking watch Jillian Bell in anything. I think Jillian Bell is genuinely one of the most hilarious people working right now. There's a moment in this film where she like they're being held at gunpoint and she sneaks up <laughs> behind a guy and just goes surprise gun, <laughs> and it's the funniest thing to me. Um. But yeah, I, I my complaint about this movie is I didn't necessarily buy all the characters and I thought it was a little too long for its own premise. But I really one actor that we didn't mention was that Lynn Shelton was in this film, too. Yes. And I think that this might be like my favorite Lynn Shelton appearance in a movie. Like she is just so sweet and tragic and you love her from the minute that she is on screen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love her in this. Yeah, I thought she was really great, too. I will say, uh, especially after last week and and, and watching um, some very heavy uh, Glenn Close movies about drug addiction, I was like, wow, Lynn Lynn Shelton looks great. 
for supposedly being a drug addict, but that's that's comedy for you. That's that's you know. <laughs> but I I agree. I do think she's particularly very good in this movie, and and I like the very limited amount of screen time that she gets, but she does make a huge impact. I just think like this was like I think this is her funniest movie. Um, I and like with the caveat like it's it's more traditionally funny. It's not like situational. It's like actually. I mean, even though the situation they are in is fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I I also like that it's not, like, punching down to, like... Um, I think it could very easily just be, like, hillbillies are stupid and, like, yeah. let's laugh at them. And it doesn't do that at all. Um, and it kind of gives them even some, like... You can just tell, like, Lynn Shelton is talking. Like, she's, like, let's have this conversation about truth. And, um, you know, it feels very of the time as well. Um, especially with, with, you know, like just, um, the media, uh, <laughs> and just like, uh, just inherent, like American, like Americans distrusting like history and distrusting, you know, like stuff like that. It, it, it feels honestly like a very mature conversation about like, really? Like, is this what the fuck's going on? Um, yeah, I really liked it. And I think it's very funny, but also very sweet. I mean, I was kind of, sh- I was like, wow, they're in the back of this truck for a really long time and they're showing us all of it. But the, I think the payoff is really worth it because you get these people talking about themselves and it goes back to what you were saying, Morgan, like she actually does care about these people and is not like, let's have a silly movie about this sword that may or may not have been a relic that would prove that the South won the civil war. It's about these real people and their real problems who have to deal with this very stupid situation. Yeah. I also uh, love Mark Maron's line where he sees that there's a market for memorabilia <laughs> saying that the South won. And he's like, what is this racist antique road show? Yeah. 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 I think it's a very funny movie. And I, I do think that it, uh, it was a good vehicle for her to um, work with Mark Marin, who she had just started a relationship with. I do want to move into her personal life real quick. Um, she was married uh, to actor Kevin Seal. They got married in 1993. They have one son together, Milo Seal, who is deaf. Mm-hmm. She loved being a mom. And I loved listening to her talk about being a mom. On May 16th, 2020, Lynn Shelton died of acute myeloid leukemia in Los Angeles. Um, at the time, she had um, her and her husband had divorced uh, in 2019, and she was with Mark Marin. She he said that she had spent several days of ill health. Obviously, this was during COVID. It's May 16th of this last year, and so people worried that it was COVID. It was not COVID. Essentially, it's rapid growth of abnormal cells that build up in your bone marrow and blood, and that interferes with normal blood cell production. Um, it has been said if the doctors had caught it in time, there's a good chance Lynn Shelton would have survived. Mm. But unfortunately, she was not diagnosed with it. And, you know, yeah, that's it's tragic. Really it's incredibly tragic. tragic. Uh, as we mentioned up front, she is uh, a prolific TV film director. Uh, she worked on Mad Men, New Girl, Mindy Project, Master of None. Mark Maron's stand-up comedy special, Too Real, which, by the way, he had to tell Netflix 
that he wouldn't do it if they didn't let her direct it because they were like, she's never directed a comedy show. And he's like, she's done seven films. Like yeah. if, if you want me, you're going to take her and she's going to do it. Um, she'd worked on Apple TV's Dickinson and the morning show. And actually the last thing that she had been working on that was completed was she was an executive producer on the TV show, the Hulu TV show, little fires everywhere uh, with Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington. Um, I, tried for this show it's not for me but i'm not a i'm not one of those girls either i didn't i didn't even try i was like i didn't even watch whatever the hbo thing everyone loves i'm not mayor for me uh, yeah that's not me either <laughs> but this specifically i was like i was like oh well she directed you know she directed the first and fourth episode i was like i can do at least the first four episodes so i can see how much her influence i do think her influence in terms of directing style is there but boy oh boy did this feel like a bad beach read I was <gasps> like, and and honestly, like, I you know I love Reese, and uh-huh. Carrie Washington is amazing in it. Carrie Washington steals every scene that she's in, but Reese was like, I don't know, she felt like she was in another thing. She felt like she was, like, I know I've met women, like the woman she's trying to portray, and they are not cartoons. They're very scary and very real, <laughs> and she kept playing it like... I'm just gonna twirl my mustache and be a, be as Karen as possible. So a villainess. Yeah. Yeah. She actually so uh she directed half of that miniseries and was nominated for an Emmy for her work. Um she was nominated posthumously, and it's really her only major award win at any kind of Which is bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, she also worked on Glow with Mark Maron. She shot yes. there what ended up being the series finale. Um, still very bitter about it, but I mean, she, as you should be, Glow is great, and I did I did really like Glow. And so. she, yeah, she uh, Allison Brie talked about when she directed her episode of Glow that she tried to bring in her Lynn energy. So love that. Well, speaking of Lynn energy, why don't we? get into our picks, and really get into that Lynn energy. Um, Let's do the hard work first, and let's talk about our one-star reviews. Morgan, darling, guest of honor, uh, we're going to kick it to you first. I will say, I don't think any of these films technically count as a one-star but my okay. lowest rated film would be okay. uh, my effortless brilliance. I just think that I don't understand straight men very well, just tragically yes. attracted to them. So <laughs> yes. that's fun. Um, yeah. And it's also the last film of hers that I watched. And so I think having a body of works expectation also kind of tainted that. Surprise! Well, do you want to come in or do you want to keep sitting in pine sap? Here's to everything being good again. I totally get it. It's uh, it's not the world's easiest watch. It's certainly... <laughs> this, this is going to sound very mean, especially since I'm talking about somebody who has passed away. It's her ugliest film. I mean, the yeah. fact that it was shot on video is like rough stuff like it's yeah. it's not pleasant to watch uh, i mean it's a lot of close-ups it's a lot of super handheld um and i can't always get behind that um it has to be very motivated for me at the end of the but, movie when the guy's leaving and he's like next time why don't you let me know you're coming over or you can park he tells him some sort of invitation i was like bitch 
you tell him next time, don't fucking come. Like, right. there's no way, there's no way at the end of this movie, he's like, you know what, friend, bestie. Like, no, no. Yeah, it's this like, is the last time. This was their breakup. Like, Thank you for coming. Don't do it again. The yeah. end. The end. Um, I don't, I don't hate this movie, but, uh, but I can see where you're coming from. Again, totally it's, it. I don't think that there is a bad Lynn Shelton film. I just think that that is my lowest rated Lynn Shelton film. Oh, Again, well, she's my favorite. In, I'm going to oh. come in hot then. <laughs> oh boy. Come in, let's, let's, let's hear it, Gavin. Let's hear it. I hate, I hate hump day. I've hated it since the first time I saw it. I really don't like it. Um, I, it, it's a very frustrating film for me because it is the closest to like a traditional, um, like a traditional mumblecore film. I don't understand why it has to be a movie. I don't like, I watch it and I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't. And like, I think there's interesting stuff in it. I think the scene in which uh, Mark Duplass sits down with his wife and tells her that like, maybe there, maybe deep down, there's something, you know, possibly queer about him. There's something maybe gay that maybe there's like an experience he'd like to have that getting married has robbed him of. And he'd like, this is maybe his last chance to experience it. Boo, but like, boo. yeah, but, but none of that has anything to do with it. It's a lie. It's a front. It has nothing to do. And so then it it's just becomes this. Also sto- like, sorry, but like that also just sounds like Mark Duplass, like reaching for the fucking stars. Right. Like, like he's like, it's it, my Meryl moment. <laughs> but also, like, you just know, you know, if there is no script for that and he knows he has to get somewhere, it it's he's trying to, like, navigate the course to get to, like, yes, beautiful wife who I want to have kids with. This is why I want to have sex with this man. And also, I just have to say, if, well, number one, this was also my pick for one star review. But... <laughs> If, I thought it might be, and so, but I'm glad you let me go. But if, if there were two straight men out there in the universe who were like, hey, let's have a bone sesh, they would not walk into the room being like, absolutely unprepared. Someone would know that they are being the top and someone would know that they're being the bottom. Yeah. It would not, it would not be a situation to like, we'll see, we'll figure it out. Like, no, 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 no. Like it. Especially if these guys are as, like, no pun intended, anal as they are in the movie. Like, if, if you know, Mark Duplass is very, like, I need to do this thing, blah, blah, Like, they would have done some Googling. They would have, you know, figured out who was doing what. <laughs> well, that's the part. That's the part that killed me is that also it's a two, it's a film from 2009. I get it. If this is, like, maybe a film from the 80s and they're, like, oh, two guys, that's going to make it art. Two straight guys. And it's, like, no, that's literally the basis for 90% of gay porn. And I know you probably don't know that morgan but we're here to tell you it is is. i mean they obviously could have just asked jeeves yes they could have just asked it's funny because like the 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 extent of their planning was like well maybe i'll go like jerk off and get like hard and then it's like run in and do it and i was like huh that's That's how you have you ever done that with a woman because that's not how that works i was like the the uh, it's yeah um and again i just keep coming back to like for what because you think you're uncool your fucking right. friend isn't cool right and but the, <laughs> the, the 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 funny the funny thing is is the the two women they meet that they initially create this um this bet over that they're that they're going to make this art porn film for the stranger 
are the cool people in the movie. Yeah. And my, I think my favorite scene in the film is when Joshua Leonard is with them and <laughs> Lynn Shelton playing the, is like, no, we're not no dick tonight. Like, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I'm with, I'm with my girlfriend and he like, can't hang all of a yeah. sudden. Look, let's try maybe for tonight using my machinery see how it goes and if and if all parties aren't satisfied then we can we can bring oh, it's that's just not how it goes it's just not how it goes you honey. Know? it's not i'm sorry uh, all right no yeah oh no 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 it's cool you really don't have to be threatened yeah. no 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 it's no it's cool oh. it's cool it's cool it's cool it's cool i'm just yeah hmm. I'm really um, disappointed. Yeah, me too. It doesn't... No, I'm sorry. I'm such a fucking square. The maybe, like, ultimate meta joke about all of this, and maybe we are just, like, being trolled by Lynn Shelton with this movie, is because at the end, they both are like, what exactly makes this art? Yeah. Why is this art? Because it's two straight guys fucking in this porn. Like, what does that... And literally, I'm like... Why is this movie art? Like what? Like <laughs> why is any art art? Like it's I. If there is one kernel of like um, something that I take away from this is is that like why the fuck is this dumb shit? Something I need to see. Uh, I will say um, she did mention that in 2012 it was remade in France as uh, like a big budget like million do- like 4 million dollar film stop um called do not disturb um and it was directed by uh, I'm going to fuck this up but Yan Attell but I think what is the best compliment to her is Charlotte Gainsborough played Lynn Shelton's role <laughs> and Asia Argento played her girlfriend and I was just wow. like wow they really just were just like passing that budget around and this she had it's funny because I, I saw various interviews with her where people asked her about it and some of them she was very like I, I prefer mine you know and then <laughs> other versions of it I was she was like oh yeah it's awful and it's oh. very much directed by a man or and, I, I imagine some French person was like, "Ha ha ha! This would make money." Like, well, and like she, she gave a great example: is that the fir- the opening of Hump Day is him and his wife in bed together, and then they are both kind of like, "I don't really want to do this." Like yeah, they I'm tired. they start to initiate sex, and apparently the opening of Do Not Disturb is like a full on like sex scene, like a raging sex scene, and she's like, "That should tell you everything you need to know about the French remake." So there is a worse version of this movie out there, and it it, it actually exists. Um, but yeah. Since since we're on the subject, was there anything else that you guys saw that you didn't particularly like? Uh, I think Touchy Feely is the only other one that for me, like it's it's funny because you said er- earlier you were like, well, I wasn't as enamored as you. I didn't mean to make it sound like I was enamored. I like a handful of scenes, but I agree, Touchy Feely would have to be my other. It's not a one star movie. It's more towards the middle of the road for me. But it's definitely one that I was less, even though I do love Rosemary Dewitt and I would watch her do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I also just think, like, you know, we go way back, and my effortless brilliance, even though there are some things there that I, like, appreciate, like, I think We Go Way Back has a lot of, like, interesting things. Yeah, I would never include We Go Way Back in this section. I I, loved We Go Way Back. I just don't want to, like, some of these looks will work, okay? Like, watching 
like Mindless Brilliance was like, you know, like, oh God, it's they're just not easy watches for me. For but for me? For me. <laughs> to to me? To Misha yeah. Iman? <laughs> and I'm coming for you. Um, Morgan, is there anything else or do you just want to leave it out? I was going to say a hump day would kind of just be my other one. That's like low tier kind of as what you said. I do love the fact that she probably was trolling us about toxic masculinity and straight guys. So always props for that. Since we got through our one star reviews, let's move into a much more positive area and let's talk about our five star reviews. So, Morgan, as our guest, we are also going to make you go again for a five-star review. Right. Um, so, very difficult, because, again, my favorite filmmaker. Um, but I'm going to go with your sister's sister. I think not only is it a brilliant film with some really great performances, but it just kind of has a lovely nostalgia to it of every time I watch it, it feels like I'm watching it for the first time again, and there's that same magical buzz um because i mean i think that's one of the things that makes lynn shelton so special too is that she really makes filmmaking feel possible for any and everyone um and i think your sister sister was kind of like one of the first films that i watched that i was like oh you if you put your mind to it yeah you you can do that thing so that's my pick i really thought you were gonna pick laggies so uh I mean, and this is the thing, as I mentioned, every episode, we don't talk about our picks beforehand because we want them all to be fresh and we want them to be surprising to each other. I have to agree with you. Your Sister Sister is my favorite Lynn Shelton movie as well. I think there's something really beautiful about it. I think there's something really beautiful about the interaction between the characters. I completely, I don't know if I could have put it better. It truly does feel like watching it for the first time every time you see it. And I think there's a spontaneity to it that is just refreshing and and these characters feel very real and i don't i don't know i i like watching this movie i think it's very funny i think it's well acted as i said before the relationship between emily blunt and rosemary dewitt is so well crafted and i i genuinely and i i know rachel rachel vice would be amazing we did an entire episode on her it's actually our most popular episode i can't imagine anybody but rosemary dewitt doing this yeah so yeah i have to agree your sister sister five-star movie the funny thing though about those years when he was so bad with the ladies he was so good with us because that was he wasn't no but that was like six summers that was just the three of us i know but you were okay with that i had no respect for that he just went he dodged from one to the other and it was gross that's so crazy so he would just like date all these women like for short periods of time with not a lot of emotional investment yeah, and they were very similar and then he would just move on yeah God, that's just weird who does that oh and the patterns oh. emerge what are you doing i'm sorry skinny jeans george skinny jeans harry skinny jeans Vinny. Vinny lasted for at least two weeks. He was one of the longer ones. I don't like dating. You know that. I don't like dating. I no, don't like te- I think technically, I don't like it. This I is... get bored. I don't like it. My pick is a little crazy cuckoo, but uh, I, I just really was touched <laughs> weirdly by Sword of Trust. It's a great pick. Uh, I debated that one, too. I, I thought you were going to go with Outside In, so hey. I just, you know... 
she's and 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 maybe i didn't even know this until we started talking and you said it morgan like she does does have that way of being kind and empathetic and like getting the humanity of really fucking normal people in ways that like if th- if anyone else had made this movie they would have made mark Marin like uh, the liberal country bumpkin who like you know and 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 just like to be able to for, at the moment where they're like where are you from and he's like phoenix like it's like people are from boring places and sound all sorts <laughs> of ways and you can like and but on top of that even giving like the backstory to these like you know who would be the um white racist guys for him to have that moment being like hey i remember you and i remember your mom and dad why did you turn out you're like your dad who was an asshole? Like she is even going out of her way to make the quote bad guys human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just love just like the effortlessness and the ease of this story that is so fucking ridiculous. But like, yeah, this lesbian niece and her partner are like, you know, and, and just maybe people don't know. Uh, they, they go to a, a will reading and, they think they're getting this house and they're like, LOL, I think the fuck not. Here's what your grandfather left for you. It's a sword. And with the sword, there are pages and pages of a story where the grandfather alleges that this sword is from some fucking obscure battle um, and proves that the South has won or did actually win the Civil War. Um, they discover that there's a big market for selling this. So they want to make a lot of money by selling it to Mark Marin at this pawn shop. Mark Marin's like, fuck off. Then he realizes <laughs> you can buy uh, people like there are crazy. Essentially, there are crazy, um, you know, uh, racists, um, truth deniers who are looking for evidence that the South actually won this war. And I think that's maybe what hit me the most. They are willing to um, compromise their beliefs and compromise what they know to be the truth just because we are at this place in society where like, I need like the four grand that I would get from this sale or whatever it is. Um, and they are willing to push themselves to the limits of, uh, what they believe in just to like kind of survive. Um, and through this like kind of misadventure, they go on to sell this thing. There's lots of laughs, but also lots of heart, as we mentioned, Lynn Shelton's character is an addict who kind of has broken the heart of Mark Maron's character. Um, and I think, like, the ability to pull off the ending of this movie where, you know, you think the big climax is, like, selling of the sword. But to me, it's, like, him actually giving Lynn Shelton's character maybe not another shot, but, like, a lifeline. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't given up on you yet. Um I don't know. This movie does a lot of things. And I was just like kind of shook. Like, wow, there's there's genuine heartfelt drama here, but also genuine like surprise gun and like stupid, <laughs> stupid, funny things that made me Makes laugh, me out laugh loud. every time. It's, yeah, that film, I I saw it, it play, played in one theater in my area, went and saw it for my birthday. I and I remember leaving going like, oh, my gosh, like this is like the same feeling I felt watching your sister's sister. Like it's magic in a bottle it's cinema i can't wait to see what she does next and i think that that's kind of what made uh her passing even more tragic because she was really setting herself up for yes yeah more spectacular things that's exactly what i was thinking as well i was like my god she 
is taking, because I do think there's a lot of like, you know, she was consuming the news, seeing the world around us and being like, God, we do, we don't even believe in like truth anymore, like right. facts anymore. And, and she was able to tell that story in such a clever, funny way. And, and again, not in a, you know, like preachy way. She's not like, you know, judging, um, you know, these people in the movie. It's all kind of like, we're all normal humans and we're, we're just trying to like navigate this fucked up world together. Um, but yeah, and I agreed completely. I was like, man, if this was, she is this her like eighth movie? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight movies. Like she was already so good first, first go. And then now, and this, and what seemed like a, uh, what was going to be a very fruitful relationship with Mark Maron, not only romantically, but creatively. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's beyond tragic that, um, we lost her so soon. Um, but that's my five star review for Sword of Trust. Listen, listen, can I just ask you just one like question? What? So... Why didn't you just tell me from the beginning that you're both full of shit? I mean, you what couldn't even keep the story about? straight. What you don't about? believe any of this shit. If you're going to run a con, at least get the lie straight. What inconsistency? It didn't even make sense. 15,000, 30,000. He's a general now? A general? Okay. Wasn't he a field marshal okay. before? Okay. You know I mean, what, what the we, fuck? It's very hard Does to navigate. Doesn't make any sense. From the beginning, it's just Listen. like you're, you're sitting there doing sign language. She's making up it's, shit. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. Honey. Is your grandfather real? Yes, He's my grandfather's real. real. So let's just be on the same page. We're just trying to sell this thing for a lot of money. You don't believe this shit, and that's that. Is there anything else we want to talk about that we think needs a shout out? Um, I, I know you're not the world's biggest fan of it, but I really do love We Go Way Back. I think it shows both a, a confidence and an effortlessness that most people never achieve in their first five movies. And I'm, I'm genuinely impressed with an effortless how, brilliance An effortless brilliance, um, <laughs> that, that, um, truly that she had. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I think first movies are hard, man. And I think she she nailed it right off the bat and it it's no surprise to me that she became as successful as she was and obviously could have been much more successful but like just sheer talent on screen yeah Yeah. i think if you want like an easy introduction like outside in is on netflix um and i it's a lot more and i don't mean this in a derogatory way but like it's a more traditionally shaped movie yeah than like we go way back or uh, my effortless brilliance um, even hump day, you know, it's a little bit more mainstream, um, but it's still her like shining, I think at her full strength. Um, great. Should we do our mixed reviews review? Sure thing. So my one star review was 2009's hump day. That was also mine. And my one star review was 2008's my effortless brilliance. And my five-star review, which was also Morgan's five-star review, is 2011's Your Sister's Sister. My five-star review was 2019's Sword of Trust. Excellent. Uh, Let's get into the fast forward. As we mentioned, unfortunately, Lynn Shelton has passed away. But in 2020, Northwest Film Forum and the Duplass Brothers Productions launched the Lynn Shelton of a Certain Age grant. It's a $25,000 unrestricted cash grant 
that supports a woman or a non-binary U.S.-based filmmaker aged 39 or older who is yet to direct a narrative feature. The grant's details are inspired by Shelton's own path as a filmmaker. I definitely feel like, as certainly in television, which is sort of where I've most intersected with Hollywood, I've seen more and more women on the rosters of directors um, instead of me being the only one who's, you know, a female on some roster. Um, and so it feels, it feels like it's definitely... There's more opportunities, but there's, I think there's still a long way to go, honestly. But yeah, it seems like at least there's some awareness on some showrunners' parts to make sure that there's gender parity. I think that's really, really great. There's been a couple really amazing tributes to her. Um, in August 2020, the American Cinematheque hosted an online tribute that featured, you know, Gillian Jacobs, Carrie Washington, Reese Witherspoon. Um, there's a, a very beautiful video that's on vimeo and youtube called her effortless brilliance that is a tribute to lynn shelton um if you want to see uh, a bunch of people that truly loved working with her and loved her in general talk about her life it's very much worth a watch i love to end episodes with um somebody uh if it's an actor, usually them singing, and if it's a director, usually a piece of music from their films that that means something. Uh, that tribute actually ends with her singing a song with uh, with a band, and so I will play that even though she's harmonizing. Um, normally, I like to keep it just to the person, but I I think it's really beautiful, and so you know, there's all of that. Uh, plus, at the time of her death she was working with mark Marin on a script for a new movie um that was going to be a dramatic turn and people have asked mark Marin if he would go on and take that because he said that they really only had the ending to rewrite if he would rewrite the ending and let another female filmmaker do it i think that's a really rude question to ask somebody who's currently grieving i mean yeah. she's she's just passed away a year last year last year um don't do that <laughs> don't, i mean i know like i know people want to know that stuff but if we get like you know that film ever made like i think it'll be such a gift but also like her path was always um uh, unconventional and you know surprising and so maybe later we will and it'll be as unconventional and surprising as she always has been um, but truly, I think we're just like very, you know, lucky to have these kind of like kooky, funny, weird films that aren't like marching to the same beat of everything else that you got going on. Um, and, and it, I, it's also just like telling, like she worked with Rosemary DeWitt so much, the Duplass brothers, like she was building this community of artists, like, you know, and, uh, it just reminds me like she, that really was like the first thing in her mind. Like, like I mentioned, just like doing this art and I, you know, I, I was reading about her making sort of trust and like, there's one of my favorite scenes is them in the back of this truck. And she was like, that was literally all just practical. I had to do that because we couldn't, we didn't have the money or resources to film them in a car. And so I was like, if we have a windowless van to put them in, (laughs) literally the like assistant DPs can just be outside shaking the truck to make it seem like they're moving and just filming it like that. Um, and I think she liked it like that. I think she preferred that. And I think, you know, it's so special to have this like scholarship um, or grant um, in her name just because it just like continues her be- to being able to touch all these people 
in the industry um, and and their work. I think, I mean, God, when she passed away, I remember this, like, the outpouring of love mm-hmm. and the outpouring of this. Because, like you said, Morgan, even, like, you know, something that was already, like, hot and fresh out the kitchen, like season four of Mad Men, to still be able to walk in there and make an impression and and move someone like John Hamm to having, like, a even just, like, a fucking great day at work. Um mm-hmm. That's special. You know, she was really special. Yeah, I think Mark Maron said it best. No one has a mean thing to say about Lynn Shelton. Mm-hmm. All these movies feel so intimate to her. They never feel precious to me, you know? Yeah. It feels like, it just feels very generous. It feels very, like, out to the community. Um, yeah, do you think, like, I mean, I don't know that I've seen a lot of movies, and it could be just my ignorance, like, that feel like Lynn's movies? Do you guys happen to know of anyone that like I mean I I think there's I think there's things that of 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 similar vein and maybe you could say of similar style but I don't know if she had her own she had her own thing. Yeah. She had her own feeling. That's why I sort of resist when people talk about her in terms of mumblecore. I think there's maybe, you know, Hump Day is as close as you get to her heading towards Mumblecore and, and you know she brought up like Dogma 95 when she was talking about My Effortless Brilliance and so like she's worked in all these sorts of areas but I think you you so clearly see her thread through them that you know I, I don't know I don't, I don't think there's anyone like her I don't know if there will ever be anyone quite like her uh, she's fascinating in the way that she works. And I mean, I could name filmmakers who do similar things. You know, I could name, Ch- I could name drop my favorite Robert Altman and be like, she's doing that, but also like, she's not because she's doing a very personal version of it. You know, she doesn't care about as many people talking over each other as much as he <laughs> does. And, and I don't know. So I, I do, I think that there's something unique and something that we certainly lost Mm-hmm. without her and i mentioned before like she's turned down roles you know she was offered black widow huh. and and she like i get it because she, you know i think in her brain she's like if i'm gonna work for somebody that's completely in control i'm gonna do tv like i'm mm-hmm. not gonna do a hundred million dollar or 200 million dollar movie that what? somebody else is essentially making and just slapping my name on. Right. Like, what would a, I mean, I, a part of me is like, what would a Lynn Shelton Black Widow look like? But it would look like a Marvel movie. And Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no way Marvel would be like, okay, yeah, go just like make a script on day one. Of, that's like, like, and, I, and I don't, like, I feel bad because I don't want to shit on Kate Shortland, who is a filmmaker I really like. And I watch Kate Shortland movies. And I also think like, how, why, what? But it's going to look like a Marvel movie. And so that's why. And I think that's why Lynn Shelton's like, she was never interested in that stuff. Right. She's like, no, I'm going to make the movies I want to make and I'm going to make them my way. And that's what they're going to look like. And she's like, if you want me to do something that's more in line with somebody else's vision, I'll go do TV and I'll make my money that way. Yeah. And she, what I also find really interesting is Edgar Wright was such a huge fan of her work. Mm. And, you know, he is one of the most technical filmmakers out there. And I think that there's just kind of an appreciation for her ability to just be like, let's live in the moment. And you can't live in the moment um, 
you know, as you're choreographing, yeah, (laughs) choreographing stuff and like space lasers and speeding (laughs) down a random European street with like people following you. Like that's so much more that's so technical. And I think that she kind of, again, like balanced the, this is my exact vision and here are the organic pieces to that art. And yeah, you don't get that in Marvel. And I also think in television, she directed a lot of pilots. Uh, yeah. She did Fresh Off the Boat and The Love Pilot as well. And I mean, uh, the creator uh, of Fresh Off the Boat, the person whose life is basically um, what that TV show is based off of, you know, she was like, what are the things that are the most important that I need to get? Mm. And she would make those things happen or on love. There's a sex scene in the first episode. And she was like, we need to talk about what is your comfort level? What makes you feel safe? Because we're not going to make this unless you feel safe doing it. Right. And, uh, you know, she always said that she loved actors and you, you can't act in a Marvel film most of the time. Cause you're just like, <laughs> running you're doing a lot of cardio and wow it's, shots fired morgan we're not acting just, we're cardioing <laughs> look i just there are some scenes of acting there's a lot of cardio in between yeah um mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i just you know that's why she would never do anything like that because she wanted to hang out yeah. with actors and be like right what's in your weird brain here's what's in mine it's also hard to hang out with actors when when it's like one actor and then the rest are like brooms with eyes glued to them that have been painted green so so, i mean you can talk with them but it's a very (laughs) one-sided conversation it's not great no one ever wants to go out for drinks with them (laughs) um but i i do think that wraps up lynn shelton i think she was absolutely one of a kind and sorely sorely missed and um i don't know if we'll ever see the likes of her again i mean i'm hopeful i'm hopeful we'll see a new class of filmmakers who come out of this who you know have a lot of really deep things to say and whatnot i mean i think i hope we see more middle-aged women who saw lynn shelton's movies and were inspired the way she was by claire denis and, you know, whether through this grant in her name or not, whatever, are making their weird little films. And I hope she um, truly has, like, you know, continued blazing that fucking trail because she was a trailblazer. Absolutely. So, Morgan, since we're wrapping up, Lynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about where we can find you online? This is your moment to plug your stuff. Tell us about anything that you're doing or any place that we can find you. Well, the best place to find me is um, on the at Cinema Gals uh, Twitter. Uh, that's for the podcast that I have with a mutual friend, Chels, uh, called the Untitled Cinema Gals Project. It's um, a great podcast. I'm a big, big fan. Thank you so much for listening. It is just two chaotic Leos existing in the world. Um, you can always tell when I am... Uh, kind of taking control because I talk a lot about how Vanessa Ro- Vanessa Kirby was robbed of her Oscar this year and <laughs> wow. um, a lot of Greta Gerwig gifts. So that's my thing. Take that, Francis McDormand. 
and your third <laughs> Oscar. Sorry. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you honestly again for bringing us Lynn Shelton. She was such an amazing subject and so great to really be able to deep dive into her film and and be able to study her sort of closely for two weeks. And it certainly gave me a new appreciation for her. Yeah, no, thank you so much for letting me. Totally. Uh, I fail your plans and uh, <laughs> let me talk about my favorite film. <laughs> but if you do want to contact us, you can always find us on Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. We're also on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. If you want to write us, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to us, you can subscribe to us on a plethora of podcast apps. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and pretty much any place that you can find us. And if you could do us a huge favor, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a little review. We'll read it on the show. We promise we love hearing from you. We love hearing you and your your siren calls from the sea. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Go to Redbubble. Check out our new Hot Pride merch. And um, I guess, Gavin, we'll see the gals and everyone. Thanks, Morgan, so much for coming by. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye! Bye! My love is a Offers up the life I don't see Her soul makes me shiver She chases